In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, as most of you know, I like to grill things, and uh, to me, there's just only two ways of cooking. You can either grill or you can microwave. There's nothing in between. That, that stove might as well just be another useless countertop as far as I'm concerned. Just can't use it. Don't need to. I, it's been some time ago now. It hasn't happened for a while, but I grilled something. I usually like to make a little extra so that I've got enough left over for a sandwich the next day. And uh, I had this piece left over, and I slapped it in between two pieces of bread. And I'm telling you, I don't know if this was an old downed Holstein or what it was, but this was the toughest piece of gristle I have tried to gnaw on for, since I can't remember when. All I ended up doing was just tearing the bread up, trying to you know rip this thing out in my teeth. It was tough chewing. There's no question about that. Today's gospel lesson is very similar to that. It is tough chewing. And it's in the middle of, it's sandwiched in between two of the most grace-filled passages that there are in the New Testament. The part right in front of this is Jesus' uh, parable of the Good Shepherd, where the, he locks the 99 sheep in the sheepfold, and he goes out and searches and seeks and finds that one sheep that is lost. And they get so nervous that he had to carry it back on his shoulders to put it back in the safety of the sheepfold. Great, great parable of God's love and grace that he, he searches for us. We don't go to him. He finds us. And then the other passage right after today's gospel lesson is Peter's question to Jesus. And he says, Master, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? As many as seven times? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven, which means unlimited. Now, we might think Peter was shortchanging a little bit there with seven times. But think about this. What if somebody had done something to hurt you, had wounded you, had wronged you, and then, you know, you dealt with it and you forgave them, and then they did the same thing, and you said, okay, and you forgave them. All right, that's about as far as most of us would get. We're still five short of what Peter said let alone 70 times 7. So it's, it means that, that there is always forgiveness in the, in the family of God. There is always a, a move towards uh, reconciliation, towards getting things back where they should be in relationship. And then in between these two grace-filled passages, in this sandwich, then in between is this grisly part about church discipline. Now, if you look in most Lutheran church um, constitutions, and I don't know, Dick, you could probably tell me this. Isn't this Matthew 18 section in our Constitution about what to do if somebody sins against somebody in the church? You, you look through all that stuff, I'm sure, when you were president. Okay, it's in there, and in most Lutheran churches you can find it. This is kind of the, um, the blueprint for how we're supposed to deal with disagreement in the church. Well, nobody likes to talk about disagreement. Nobody likes to talk about discipline. This is not a very popular thing. But I think that it's in here in the Gospel of Matthew because Matthew recognized that the church is made up of sinners and that sinners tend to sin. And that part of that is that we rub up against one another we are irritating to one another. We say things and we do things that other people don't like. And there needs to be some way to bring this back to, to peace and reconciliation. Matthew was under no illusions 
even about the early church, that it was going to be all sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Matthew knew that it was made up of sinners. And so this is the corrective that Matthew has in there to help people to say, okay, we know that there is going to be discord, there is going to be conflict. That's not the question. The question is, how are we going to have conflict with one another? And how are we going to resolve that? In the early church, this was extremely important to deal with conflict because they were little house churches and something that affected one person or two really affected everybody. It isn't like today where we have bigger churches where if you uh, are irritated with somebody, you can just walk past them and go talk to other people and then go talk about them in the parking lot. Uh, No, no, that's not the goal here. At that time, it made a great deal of difference what happened to people within these, these little tight-knit church homes. I think that it still is important today, however. I think that reconciliation is something that we don't necessarily like to talk about because reconciliation almost always means that there is a confronting of the issue first, and that's the part we don't like. So... Um, I'm trying to think, Ernest Campbell, I think, is the guy who wrote this. He said, a rebuke should never be the first word in a relationship, nor should it be the last word in a relationship. But it will, on occasion, be the right word. That there are times when people need to be made aware of their sinfulness, because that's kind of what the church is for with us in here. The church is for letting other people find out about the grace of God. But inside here, the church is about helping one another deal with our sinfulness. Helping one another mature and grow in our faithfulness. That's what we're to do, to help one another do that. So I think it's just as important today. We don't want to have what, uh, what psychiatrist M. Scott Peck called pseudo-community. He said, that's the community where everybody smiles and looks affable and walks on by, but they never really deal with any of the issues. It's fake. We want to have real community where people deal with the real issues in a real appropriate way. So then the question is, well, what kind of issues did they have back then? Well, you know, they had, they had the same kind of big issues that we have. And my hunch is that they were able to deal with the big issues of discord and conflict much better than the little issues. I think it's the same way today. If we have big issues, we'll deal with them. So if somebody, if a member of the church is vandalizing church property, we're probably going to say something to them about that. If they are threatening people, we're probably going to say something about that and do something. If people are... Um, you know, taking money out of the collection plate and putting it in their pocket, we're probably going to mention that to them. Uh, if somebody is, you know, has stabbed the pastor, hopefully you'll bring that up. That, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that. Uh, you know, so big issues like that, I think we do better. But here's the kind of stuff that doesn't get brought up. Somebody inadvertently got left off the prayer list. Somebody got skipped over in communion out in their pew by mistake. Somebody cleaned something up after it had already been cleaned up and done a certain way. 
Somebody left the lights on at church. Somebody didn't make their pledge. Somebody said something that was supposed to be a joke that was not taken as a joke, that was taken very seriously. That's the kind of stuff that isn't talked about. But that's the kind of stuff that is toxic and poisons congregations. And for those of you who are married, it's the same thing in your marriage relationships. It's not the big issues that get to people in marriages. It's the pileup of a whole bunch of little issues that aren't dealt with. And those of you who are married know that. Those of you who aren't, get ready. <laughs> so it's those kinds of issues. So that's, that's the what. That's the what of what we deal with, is stuff like that. And now, the why. The, wh the why of why we deal with this is because uh, in the first place, if we confront somebody else, they may not even be aware that something that they're doing is wrong or something they've done is annoying to you or hurtful. They may not even know that. And if you don't bring it up, they still don't know it. In the second place, if you have to take a couple of witnesses along, the next step in the discipline, uh, it could be that in the conflict that you have with somebody, it could be that you're wrong. They might be right, and you might be wrong. And so they can help you see that. And in the third place, we want to confront other people because even if the outcome is that, that somebody says, well, I don't care, you, know, I don't, you say what you want, I don't care. At least you've taken care of business on your end. Now you are not allowing that other person to live rent-free in your head. You took care of it on your end. What they do with it, that's up to them. But ultimately, the fourth reason why we want to do it is because we want to reconcile and have a brother or a sister again, not just somebody that we walk past. We want to be reconciled. We want to bring the relationship back where it should be. And now the how. This is how you do it. Jesus said you go and confront somebody privately. You don't go and list support for your position from two or three other people and then say, yeah, this is what, this is what she did. You know, can you believe it? I, you know, this is crazy. Yeah, you're right. That is crazy. And then you all get together and say, oh yeah, sure enough, she's crazy. You confront the other person privately. And to confront is different than this other word that sounds similar, and that is to condemn. To condemn is done from here. Do you feel that, Dick? Yes, I did. <laughs> to condemn is done there. To confront is done here. It means to level with somebody. To say, this is what I see, and this is what I'm concerned about. You're not talking down to anybody. You're just talking across and say, I'm concerned about this and this is what I see. So, as long as I picked on Dick once, I'll do it again. So if I, <laughs> so if I had an issue with Dick, I would say, I would say uh, Dick, I, I, I have an issue with you on something. And then Dick would say, what is it? What is it? Yeah, and I would say, well, <laughs> I've noticed that you call me Pastor Dipwad all the time, and uh, I'm not sure that I, I... Maybe you're just kidding, I don't know, but it kind of feels like it takes flesh when you pull that harpoon back out once in a while. 
And uh, I, 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 f- you know, I feel a little hurt by it. And I, I would like you to, to do something else. And I'm willing to be cautious in what I say to you too. What do you think? I think I could do that. Okay, that's what you do. Now, if Dick says, yeah, well, I don't care. <laughs> then I go, well, I just want to let you know that this is hurtful to me. And that's what I'd like you to do. And then Dick could say, well, all right, I won't call you Pastor Dipwad. I'll call you Pastor Dumbbutt from now on. You know, Okay, but at least I took care of it. I tried to do what I could to restore relationship. So the church is all about that, learning how to do that with one another. In church members, in our families, in our co-workers, that's what the church is about. And it was said one time, some wag gave this. I kind of like it. He said, you know, if it, if it weren't for the storm, it, the church is kind of like Noah's Ark. If it weren't for the storm raging outside, you couldn't stand the smell inside. The church does smell like sin. But it is the group that is working at teaching people how to deal with their sinfulness. And so today we remember Jesus' words that we, we don't just ignore stuff. We speak the truth in love because our goal is to be as reconciled to one another as God has reconciled us to Him. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.